this week on the Single Seater Space podcast. Nick DeFries. He featured in more episodes of Tuned than he has taken part in F1 races. And this is Formula E and Jake Dennis could be out on the very first lap in London. Which is just brilliant for us F1 fans. We get to see more Red Bull dominance. Woohoo. Remember, you can find all of our content on our website, singleseaterspace.co.uk and on our social media using the at singleseaterspace. Enjoy. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Single Seater Space podcast after the Honda Indy Toronto and also Formula E's doubleheader in Rome. We are ready to preview the Hungarian Grand Prix, so lots to dive into this week um, in our podcast. I'm James Scott, once again joined by Taryn Glazebrook, Single Seater Space's Formula One and Formula E expert, and myself, who does the IndyCar for our website. Remember all of our content at singleseaterspace.co.uk. And uh, Taryn, we'll start then with the preview of the Hungarian Grand Prix. And the one thing that really sticks out is the fact that we've had a driver change this week. It actually came out in between recording and a release of the last podcast that we did, so it makes sense. Just to start off with a brief bit now, um, Nick DeVries is out, Daniel Ricciardo is in. What do we think on it? Yeah, it sure sets up a an interesting second half to the season, if you like. Because uh, AlphaTauri, they had enough. Helmut Marco had enough of Nick DeVries. And the, the poor guy got fired after just 10 rounds of the season. He didn't even make it to the second half of the season. He he, I think uh, I saw the thing. He, he, he featured in more episodes of Tuned than he has taken part in F1 races, which is quite an achievement. But uh, we move on. Daniel Ricciardo is back. The Honey Badger is back. I think all fans love to see it, as uh, Martin Brundle was saying. Um, Danny just, he adds something to the F1 grid. Um, his presence alone just makes it seem like a brighter place to be in. And uh, Daniel is back. Um, he is going to be definitely putting in performances that hopefully see him maybe sell uh, Yuki Tsunoda. Because that is something we have not seen so far. DeFries struggled against Sonoda. How Daniel copes against him is an unknown. Um, I think he might actually do pretty well against him. But the main thing for that AlphaTauri team at the moment is getting off the back of the grid. Because they have had such a poor season. They've only got two points this season. They're at, at the bottom of the Constructors' Championship. And, uh, well... I think it's going to be very interesting to see how AlphaTauri do for the second half of the season and whether they can get into that lower midfield lower midfield fight with Alfa Romeo and Haas and Williams um, because that's who they're fighting at the moment and at the moment they are struggling a bit. Um, how do you think, Daniel, how, how do you think uh, Ricardo's going to do in that AlphaTauri, James? Well, I'd be shocked if he jumped in straight away and started beating Sonoda um, off the bat. I think... Nobody is expecting him to do that, but um, we uh, talked about it just a touch actually last week because we almost anticipated the news. We said it would happen after the summer break, and in the end, it's almost happened pretty much straight away. But actually, um, I thought you know it wouldn't be unreasonable to say that De Vries would be out of the seat. And yeah, um, you know, Ricardo he might do a good job jumping in straight away, but it's going to take time, um, as these things always do take a little bit of time. And so, you know, uh, I think. It's an experienced head, which is what AlphaTauri need, as you say, to get off the back of the grid. Um, a bit like what Ed Carpenter Racing have done in IndyCar, chucking in Ryan Hunter Ray, multiple race winner, champion, to try and drag them off the back of the grid. They're going to try to do the same with Daniel Ricciardo. Obviously, he's been out for a little bit. So, as I say, it'll take some time to get up to speed. But 
it could be the right option, definitely short term, maybe medium term, it leaves them a bit with a headache, because it's like, what do they do with Liam Lawson? Um, you know, what do they do uh, with perhaps their interest in Alex Pillow? Um, it almost puts a buffer in one of the seats for the next either, well, definitely six months, maybe even 18 months. So we'll have to see. Um, do you think, you know, do you think this is a, a medium term move or do you think it's just a stopgap? I think this is a medium term move, to be honest with you. Um, because, uh, I mean, we've seen multiple things of uh, Helmut Marco and who he wants at Red Bull. Um, I saw a thing, Red Bull approached Albon and Alex rejected that. I think um, the guy had a bit of PTSD from the last time he was in a Red Bull. Um, but uh, you see Daniel Ricciardo. I think the real thing here, um, whether Ricciardo's move is going to be medium term or just for this half second half of 2023 is how well Sergio Perez performs because at the moment Red Bull want an experienced head in that second seat at Red Bull it's uh, it's very much a cursed chandless of the fact of a cursed chalice because no driver has performed in that second Red Bull seat since Daniel left in 2018 um, so I think this is going to be a huge part as to whether Daniel is going to be staying on our grid for that long. Um, personally, I think he's going to just stay for the second half of the season because something we have seen is that Red Bull will want that young that young drivers program to actually get into F1 because something at the moment is that Yuki Tsunoda um, has kind of been the only junior Red Bull driver to stick around for very long since that 2018 season. They tried um, so many drivers. Um, Alex uh, left after, well, a few seasons because he wasn't performing too well. Um, then we had uh, Daniel Kvyat. He left. Carlos Sainz has pretty much left the picture, moving to Ferrari. Um, it, it's pretty much been that uh, no Red Bull driver who has been in their junior program has stuck around for very long. So, um, I think the huge part of this is how well is Daniel going to perform? If he performs and Sergio Perez doesn't, does Daniel get a go in that second Red Bull car for a season? How well does uh, Yuki Tsunoda how well does Yuki Tsunoda perform? What is Helmut Marker going to do with Yuki Tsunoda if he keeps on putting in these performances? I think uh, the whole 2025 silly season, we haven't gone through the 2024 season silly season yet. But I think the silly season for the 2025 season is going to be very interesting for Red Bull as to whether they give Yuki Tsunoda a shot. And the headache that Red Bull have got at the moment is, as you just stated, what do they do with Liam Lawson? A guy who has clearly been a brilliant driver in that Red Bull Junior program. A guy who's put performances in Formula 2, is doing so in Super Formula at the moment. And you mentioned the big name, which was Alex Plow. Because I remember you saying last podcast, he was he is in the top five drivers in the world at the moment. And his drive that he put in this weekend in Toronto certainly did prove that. So um, well, I think uh, Rebel might be a little bit scared at the moment as to whether they go for Alex Plow after what they did with Nick DeVries and whether they make that snap choice to steal him before any other team does. Um, but um, as I was saying last podcast, the big man here who you need to impress is Helmut Marco. 
He is the judge, jury, and executioner of Red Bull. He has been the judge, jury, and executioner of the Young Drivers program for such a long time now. And um, whether they chuck in the Young Driver into the AlphaTauri seat, um, I definitely hope they do. But, um, you know, it's his choice, I guess. Um, do you have any expectations of that second AlphaTauri seat? Because I think that's kind of the main thing impacting uh, Red Bull's driver program at the moment yeah well i mean look i just i i was actually reasonably shocked that they didn't either you know keep devries for a bit or put liam lawson in because christian horner talks about it yesterday he was like why would we not put daniel ricardo in but you know what ricardo can do it's not like he's been underperforming at mclaren for two years and struggling to adapt to their car so you know what's to say that he you know in 12 races he's going to get up to speed with the new avatari so I'm rather surprised they didn't, you know, mention Liam Lawson's name in all of this and go, look, we're going to keep DeVries for this time and then put him in straight away next season, give him extended tests, do make him do all the tyre tests. You know, it's just a little bit confusing, their strategy, because, look, they have this driver that has won on debut in seven different categories over the course of his junior career. That How, how, how much more adaptable can you be? Um, and, you know, so... I feel I feel like they've missed a trick here and they may see another one slip through the net because at some point, you know, Liam Lawson won't want to be hanging around forever, um, you know, waiting in the wings. And so it's a, it's a tricky one for them to balance. It's almost like they're sort of have too fewer seats um, within their uh, within their team. Um, and that's that's, I guess, what the, what the expense of having such a, a strong junior program is, is that. You know, you're in this predicament. Um, if we move away now slightly from Red Bull's junior programme and more now to the Hungarian Grand Prix as a whole, we'll just touch on it in a tiny little segment. Now, um, I suspect Budapest, it's where George Russell took his first pole position. Max Verstappen went from 10th to 1st, where him and Lewis Hamilton put on great drives last year. Um, taking away Max Verstappen for a minute um and i think in my prediction for how many seconds he's going to win by he's going to win by nine seconds um do we think that uh mercedes or mclaren or ferrari or aston martin will be the pick of the teams in second well as you just said uh george russell took pole position a surprise pole position i think it was last season in hungary so um mercedes this is a track they do go well at it's a track that lewis hamilton goes well at um the guy's just won so many races there it's um it's unbelievable i think he's won something like eight races around hungary it is pretty unbelievable um so i i actually think they'll be the ones kind of who have this second place to lose if you like uh in the constructors uh just because they go so well around there I think the huge question this weekend is where do mclaren come from because yes we've seen them perform at kind of high higher speed circuits in the form of austria and at silverstone where you know you can you can have a really slippery car and the car will perform well we saw that williams performed well at both those circuits so um hungary i think is going to be a huge indicator um as to where mclaren are at in terms of their chassis and their aerodynamics because i feel um hungary is one of those circuits we call it monaco without walls 
um, is one of those circuits which benefit a brilliant chassis and some brilliant aerodynamics on their car, which is why Red Bull are going to perform so well around there this weekend. And um, if it, if if we couldn't see so much more Red Bull dominance, uh, we are going to have to see it even more now as Red Bull do bring some aerod- some upgrades to their car. I think they're, they've upgraded the side pod and will probably gain them around two tenths per lap. So, um, you know, James, you said um, nine-second victory for Verstappen. I'm going to say it's going to be a bit more. I'm going to say 16 seconds for Verstappen, just purely because those upgrades could be so pivotal um, as to kind of how much uh, Rebel dominate this race. Because, um, you know, they've won every race this season and they've thought, "That's, that's not good enough for us. So they've decided to upgrade their car even more, uh, which is just brilliant for us F1 fans. We get to see more Red Bull dominance. Woohoo. Um, anyway, I'll get back onto that fight for second place in the constructors. Um, Aston Martin have seen a dip recently. They've stagnated. Um, I do think they'll perform at this circuit a bit more than uh, circuits like Austria and Silverstone, where they do struggle a bit for straight line speed. Um I think Fernando Alonso will like the Hungary circuit. We certainly saw him put in a pretty awesome performance in 2021 where he held off Lewis Hamilton for God knows how many laps and helped his teammate Esteban Ocon win that race. Um, And then the last team who we need to talk about is Ferrari. Their strategists have come under fire quite a lot recently, and at Silverstone, they sure came under a lot of fire from not only us, from the whole F1 grid for what they did. So um, I think a lot for Ferrari is, can their strategists perform? And if their strategists can perform, where does that put them? And I see them battling Aston Martin this weekend for that third place spot in the Constructors. I've said a lot there. Um, what are your kind of thoughts bet- for the battle between Mercedes, McLaren, Ferrari and Aston Martin? Well, look, I mean, Mercedes was certainly very strong there last year. Um, if Lewis Hamilton had started up the front rather than starting in seventh with his DRS failure, I think there was a good chance he was actually going to win that race. Um, that Their pace was so similar to that of Red Bull that whilst, you know, Max Verstappen did get ahead of Hamilton, it was, um, it was reasonably close uh, throughout. So, you know, I think it's a... Um, it's a very it's a very fine balance at the moment. The Hungara ring is where they run the highest downforce of the season. Um, it's not Monaco. It's the Hungara ring. Because actually, in Monaco, because there aren't that many fast corners, you don't need as much downforce. So, you know, uh, on the wings especially. I know the diffuse is slightly different with how you how you set it up. But for, for Monaco, we uh, sorry, for Hungary, we will see as big a wings as we do in Monaco. So it'll be a very good indicator. Red Bull's... Straight line advantage may not be so uh, so important, but their DRS advantage will be. Um, you know, if they're going through the pack. So yeah, it's a it's an interesting balance. Um, it's a very very fine margins. Um, at the moment in that battle for second, McLaren. Of course, they've got a lot of catching up to do, but they seem to be the team in form with that bit of extra momentum coming off a second of a fourth. The team on the way back seems to be you know um, seems to be Aston Martin. They have definitely stagnated. So it's an interesting, um, an interesting way of balancing it, I guess. Um, and if we move now from one high downforce 
circuit in the Hungara ring. We go back to the streets of Toronto for IndyCar. The Honda in Toronto happened this weekend and we saw a maiden win for Christian Lungard in Rahul Letterman Lanigan. He's finished second a few times. He's now finally broken that duck, got his win and shaved off his moustache, um, which of course was the promise when he gets his very first win. Um, we start off easy. Um, Lungard wins by 11 seconds. How dominant was he? How impressed were you? And how good is it to see RLL turn around after, you know, just two months ago, they were bumped from the Indianapolis 500. And since then, they've now uh, got pole position and won a race. Yeah, it's been unbelievable how well RLL have managed to turn around this season. Um, we've been talking about it. It would be a surprise to see them in the top 10. We saw them get bumped in the Indy 500, uh, qualifying as Graham Rahal couldn't even qualify for the Indy 500. Of course, he did take part in it. Um, but, um, you know, this is just brilliant to see. RLL fight back into this season quite brilliantly um, after having such a poor start to this season. And I think a big person who has done that is Christian Lungard. Um, a driver, he got pole position at the Indy GP. He got pole position here and then managed to convert it to, R I think it was RLL's first win since Takuma Sato at the Indy 500 in 2020, which is quite a long time ago. Um, so it is, it's just brilliant to see, really. Um, and whether it was dominant or not had a lot to do with the cautions because we saw a hell of a lot of cautions in that race. Um, lap one, we had a bit of a pile-up which saw um, Lungard's teammate, Graham Rahal, do a big brain thing to do, which was see the action up ahead, predict it, engage reverse gear so quickly, and then just take to the runoff area and um, miss all that carnage. Um, so um, well done, Graham. That was a big brain move for you to do. And finishing in, I think you finished in P9 in the end from P27 on the grid. That was an unbelievable fight back from Graham and certainly showing that RLL, they have unlocked some pace in their car and um, they surely are back in this IndyCar season. Um, we had some other cautions caused as, yes, ladies and gentlemen, Roman Grosjean crashed again. Um, six out of ten times this season now he's crashed. Um when when can the guy get a break? He 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 said the steering wheel slipped from his hands um, again. Um, I I don't really know how to put it at this point because the guy arrives at tracks. Um, he very clearly has a little bit of pace. You know, Roman he is no slouch. We've seen him perform in IndyCar perform before. We saw him perform in the early parts of this season so well. But the one thing he would do is just continue crashing. And he's lost a lot of confidence. He has dropped to the kind of kind of midfield pack in IndyCar at the moment. And he continues to do crashing. Um, where do we go with Roman? Um, he just needs a good break, doesn't he? He's signed up for Lamborghini for 2024 in their hypercar program. But that's not the only thing I suspect the intention would be to run that alongside an IndyCar program in the same way that French compatriot Simon Paginot does. Um you know, or Scott Dixon, who raced in the Le Mans 24 hours. So, look, I think there's... Grosjean is signed up to do other stuff in 2024, and now actually it opens up the question, well, 
do Andretti Autosport want Roman Grosjean in that number 28 seat? With all the questions around silly season going on, Grosjean is the one that could very much be out the door. And for Michael Andretti, you think of the number of points that have evaporated because Grosjean hasn't finished the race. I mean, St. Pete, certainly 40, maybe 50 points turned into just a few after he put it in the wall. Texas running in the top eight, crashed, put it in the wall. Um, you know, in Long Beach, yes, he finished second. He finished second at Barber as well. I mean, they were very good drives, but he spun out four times at Road America. And I don't know if it's just a loss of confidence or whatever. I know he had a suspension failure in Detroit, so you know that technically goes down as another crash. But then Toronto, I mean, it's almost just inexcusable. Like, it's so frequent now. If you're, if you're looking for a yellow to come out, you're almost expecting it to be the yellow DHL car that's caused the caution. Um, so, you know, there's rumours that Ericsson is going for that seat. Um, we'll get on to Marcus Ericsson in a bit because uh, his radio after the race sounds like he feels very much done with Chip Ganassi Racing and they almost feel done with him. Um, so it's a uh, it's a very interesting balance. Um Groman Grosjean is really struggling. Um, just needs a good result. Maybe Iowa is not the next place to go. Andretti, the customary, their uh, short oval package has not been perfect um, recently. Um, you know, so I suspect there's going to be some some difficult weekends. But then after that, uh, maybe they can maybe they can kick on for the rest of the season because uh, on the first of August in IndyCar, silly season will officially begin. Um, we know we've had rumours, but contracts aren't technically, they are allowed to be signed, but someone like Ericsson or can't talk with another team until uh, until after the 1st of August. So then we'll see it really kicking off. And uh, in the silly season, the two key holders are Alex Pillow and Marcus Ericsson. And uh, Alex Pillow is just proving that uh, everybody wants him. Formula One teams, McLaren IndyCar team and Chip Ganassi Racing, although I suspect he'll end up going to McLaren. So I think the ultimatum was is that he... Um, he he couldn't he couldn't he has to honour his McLaren contract unless he found a Formula One ride before the first of August. So I suspect um, Alex Pillow will be McLaren bound. But um, after three wins in a row, it may seem disappointing to finish second. But that's not quite telling the full story, is it? He went from fifteenth to second with only half a front wing um, hanging onto the car. Taron, would you like to uh, tell us a bit more? Yeah, qualifying was very interesting, and um, one of the guys who failed in that um, dry-to-wet and back-to-dry qualifying was Alex Pillow as he was knocked out in the group stages before the Firestone Fast 12. Um, it was pretty unbelievable to see this guy, who I believe has qualified in the top 10 at most races this season, and he was knocked out before, before that Fast 12. And um, we all expected that this would be the weekend that we saw the championship turn. If there was going to be a weekend, we could see the championship come back to us. It was going to be this weekend. And um, unfortunately, it didn't work that way as uh, Polo strategists, um, they executed uh, their work perfectly. And um, it certainly worked very well for Polo. Um, but I think the one thing that made his drive so incredible was the fact that he was driving for half of that race with a broken front wing. That front wing of his looked very, very dangerous in the uh, last few laps as it was hanging on by a thread. The nose cone structure had literally split. Um, and it was, it, we, we kind of saw it go from half broken 
to kind of three quarters broken and then hanging on by a thread. And the way he held on in that race was just unbelievable. And if any of the any of his contenders thought they were going to have any more kind of luck in this season and get into this championship fight, unfortunately, you have a man here who has extended his championship lead despite having a break in front wing and starting from way down in the field. Um, so I think that certainly brought in huge questions as to... Um, whether this is championship over, we will see as we go to Iowa uh, whether New Garden can do his magic there. We'll get onto that in a few seconds' time. But um, you mentioned Marcus Ericsson. I'm going to chuck in Will Power to that mix as both drivers had to make late pit stops with um, fuel issues. Um, James was very upset at this, as you can imagine, and um, so was Will Power. He was on the radio saying, what the hell have you done, guys? Um, you should have told me, you should have given me a number and I would have done it, because saving saving one lap of fuel around Toronto is quite easy, I feel. It's not the biggest, it's not the longest of circuits. You have a lot of braking zones, you have a lot of places where you can save fuel. And um, the strategist didn't give power the number, and he had to pit on the final lap, along with Ericsson, um, which saw them fall way down from inside the top 5, top 10, falling uh, outside the top 10, and ultimately finishing very low down. And um, I feel that Pelot was cheering in his uh, driving seat when he saw that happen, because um, that's one of his championship contenders out of the picture and two drivers who could have potentially overtaken him in those final few laps out of the picture too. So um, you said Marcus Ericsson is getting frustrated with Chip Ganassi. Um, it is becoming growingly um, obvious to us that he is. Um, if his team continued doing stuff like this when he's trying to win an IndyCar championship, um, then perhaps a move to Andretti does seem likely, and a move to replace Grosjean does seem even more increasingly likely. Um, do you have any words on Pelot's luck? Because the guy seems to have won races this season, and whether he has earned this luck is kind of in the air, because I do believe he has earned it by doing so well this season. Um, any words on our championship leader, James? Well, no, you're right in saying, look, you make your own luck, and certainly um, that's that's what he's done at the moment. Um, but you know what was holding his front wing on? It was the livery wrap. He was running a new livery this weekend on the car, and it was actually the livery wrap keeping the front wing on, which meant he wasn't forced to pit because it was absolutely ruined, that front wing. Um, but, you know, if that was Formula 1, it would have been called in. But unfortunately, IndyCar is sort of grassroots, hardcore racing, Um and, you know, we see that in lots of different facets of it. But certainly in that one, um, you know, Polo wasn't called in. It was just down to him to uh, keep the thing on the car. And, um, yeah, uh, he's bit, you know, you make your own luck. 117 points now. Um, Newgarden and Dixon are going to be the ones to watch uh, in Iowa. Um, Newgarden has won five times in Iowa. Um, so, you know, certainly, definitely the one to watch. It, it is it is where he seems to thrive. Um the best short oval racer in this series by some distance. So, as I said last week, this championship will all come down to how good it, how good uh, um, so weekend Newgarden has. Because you know, if he takes all 108 points, which is really not that unlikely, that gap could be sliced in half um, in no time. I mean, now that the Indy 500 is no longer double points. It's not how you perform at Indy; it's how you perform at Iowa. 
because um, there's 108 points available here, whereas at Indy there's only 66 rather than being uh, 112 like there was last year. So it's uh, it's an interesting balance, isn't it? And, um, you know, we're, we're all very, very much excited uh, for this IO around and... Um, uh, and and it should be a really good one. The races are both 250 laps this year, um, not 300, the second one like it was last year. Um, but yeah, uh, Marcus Ericsson getting more frustrated with Chip Ganassi racing. I mean, on the radio after the race, it's, he said, um, you know, why did you uh, why did you put me on that strategy? Why didn't you tell me the fuel number? And then the response that he got was um, they snapped back um, and saying, we know we messed up. You don't have to rub it in. So... You know, um, there feels like there's a few few cracks developing there. Um, he may be on his way out, and uh, you know, it will. It may just be sort of heat of the moment frustrations. But um, yeah, if I was Ericsson and I'd seen my third place or fourth place evaporate um, up into uh, up into a P11 finish, I'd be disappointed as well. Um, so we're from one uh, street fight to the next, then. Uh, Formula E had their double header in Rome and we were going into this with four championship contenders and uh, looking to see who would take advantage in a massive swing in points. Mitch Evans, the king of Rome, um, often sort of the man to watch here. Jake Dennis's terrible record um, around Rome was the key storylines going into it and coming out of it, Jake Dennis has won the second race in which his main contenders crashed out and so in the end, Jake Dennis is the big winner with I think now more than a race wins worth of points in the lead as we go into the final double header in Rome, not this weekend, but sorry in London, not this weekend, but next weekend. Tarrant, give us the rundown on what happened because in terms of championship ramifications now, it's huge. Yeah, if we wanted drama, if we wanted even more drama into this Formula E season, what did we have in Rome? So um, in race one, we saw Jaguar look out the front row, which meant Mitch, which had Mitch Evans starting on the pole. And we had his championship contenders, Dennis, starting down in P7. And we had a fifth row of his other two championship protagonists in Nick Cassidy and Pascal Wehrlein. So um, this was going to be a huge thing as to whether Mitch Evans can hold on to his race win and how we saw Dennis, Casti and Verline come through the field. And um, at the race start, we saw Jaguar putting in some team orders as Samba took the lead um, to allow his teammate Mitch Evans save a bit of electrical energy, which was a huge, huge topic. Uh, we saw Casti going forward. We saw Dennis going forward. But Pascal Verline, oh dearie me, he picked up damage, I think, on lap one, which meant he had to take to the pit lane and saw his race basically go from trying to get points, trying to battle with his championship protagonist, and and basically going to the back of the grid as he had to pit with front wing damage. Um, so seemingly that seemed like his day was over. Um, a safety car was then called out as Andre Lotra, who I will I will talk about him because his work this season has not been great. Uh, Lotra crashed, causing a safety car, bunched the field up. And then we proceed to see attack mode strategies play out as they do. And then we see a massive, massive pileup. Um, a total of six drivers crashed as um, we saw Sam Bird lose his rear end at turn six um which at rome is flat out is the highest speed the drivers go around that track 
and um, we saw Lewis's rear end go onto or about the racing line, which is the most dangerous spot you can go into quite a blind corner. And um, ultimately, we saw Sebastian Buemi smash the rear end of his Jaguar in a high-speed incident that almost flipped him. Well, it did slightly flip him onto the side of his car as we saw the halo definitely come again and saving a life as his 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 front wheel if you look gone onto driver's eye with Buemi that looked terrifying the way his wheel kind of came straight back almost hitting him in the head was unbelievable um so we saw Buemi crush into Bud's rear end we saw Antonio Felix da Costa crush into um Bud's rear end and then we saw DS Pensy cars trying to avoid contact so John Oakfern went right of Bird um smashed into the wall causing suspension damage to his car whilst teammate van Dorn threaded his car through the iron needle that was between bird's front where front end and the rome walls and then if it wasn't enough we saw eduardo motara slam at top speed into the stationary jaguar car of sam bird um, as we saw afterwards, the ABC Cooper of Robin Fryens lost his rear end as he tried to avoid and hit the front nose of Bird, also putting him out of the race. So we have nine laps and seven DNFs around Rome. Um, so it, so we had Lotterer out, Sam Bird out, Buemi was out, De Costa was out, Matara was out, De Grassi and Fryens were also out. Um... So that was dramatic, and the championship kind of percussions of that were massive. Because all four championship contenders no longer had that teammate buffer, if you like. They no longer had their teammates in this race to steal points from their championship contenders, which was just massive. Um, thankfully, all drivers were all right, and that is kind of the most important bit here. But definitely after that, we had a race. We had the second race start, and where we saw Jake Dennis just fall as his energy saving was not was not good. Um, he fell into P four after leading for part of that race. As we saw Mitch Evans continue his dominance around the streets of Rome, he took a fourth win on the streets of Rome, a third in the row. And Nick Cassidy finishing second, stealing Dennis's championship lead. So after we saw that, we thought, how could this weekend get any more dramatic? And race two did that. As we, as James said, Nick Cassidy and Mitch Evans, the two Kiwi drivers, came together at turn seven. Mitch Evans going over Cassidy's car in an aerial contact, which I believe was Jake Dennis playing 4D chess. As um, he was going wheel-to-wheel -wheel with Cassidy, slowed each other up, caught Mitch Evans behind them by surprise, as the Jaguar slammed on his brakes, lost his rear end as his rear end locked up, and meant he went over Cassidy and took both drivers out of the race. So they scored zero points. Pascal Berline was again struggling through the field after an awful qualifying. And Dennis took the maximum amount of points as he took 29 points around the streets of Rome in that second race. After getting pole, the fastest lap and the race win, he got a second Grand Slam, which I don't think any other Formula E driver has. 
Um, which was just an unbelievable performance from him, to be honest. Um, we talked about form coming into this weekend a lot. We talked about him getting second places a lot this uh, this season. We talked about his form around Rome being not too great. And he's come to Rome and he's got P4 and P1 with Poland fastest lap. That is just an unbelievable performance from Jake Dennis there. And he, as, as James was saying, he leads this championship now by 24 points. Which is actually quite a lot if you look at it. Um, and seemingly his closest rival, Nick, is Nick, is Nick Casty now after Evans's DNF in that second race, which now puts him 44 points behind. Uh, Verline is seemingly kind of out of the picture. Um, he trails by 49 points or something like that, which basically means he has to win both races in London with poles and fastest laps to get that kind of maximum count of 58 points. Um, I've said quite a lot there. Um, what were your thoughts about the drama around Rome? Because there was a lot of drama around the Roman streets, James. Well, I mean, look, this went from being one of the closest championships with the top three just being separated by 16 points to now, you know, this championship has been blown. I say wide open, but not. It almost looks like a little bit more of a foregone conclusion. I mean, if Jake Dennis wins the first race in Rome, you know, it, this championship is over because the maximum number of points you can get from a weekend is 28 and Jake Dennis has a 24-point advantage. So if he gains even just a couple of points on his rivals in that first race in London, this championship isn't going all the, all, isn't even going the distance, which is even more dramatic in itself when you think about how close it was coming into Rome and Jake Dennis's terrible Rome record. So, you know, it's 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 been such a dramatic weekend. It almost happened a weekend too early. I mean, if this had happened sort of last weekend, it would have it would have been unbelievable. But now, you know, it's almost it's almost put the pin in what was going to be an awesome championship finale. I mean, this is Formula E and Jake Dennis could be out on the very first lap in London. Um, but he's been a model of consistency this season and I, for one, feel like that's reasonably unlikely. So the fact that he's um, picked up a win in uh, the place where he's really struggled is, um, of course, uh, I mean, it's huge for him. It's huge for... Uh, it's huge for the series. And, um, you know, it really is... He's basically now put one hand on the championship crown um which you know it, it's a, it's a very exciting prospect um for it's a very exciting prospect for Jake Dennis um maybe a little bit less so as we were hoping for something super exciting going into London but um you know it, it's just a, it's just a very 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 good um performance from Jake Dennis and kind of underlines the fact that consistency is key throughout any championship and, you know, he's seen the chequered flag on that mid-season blip on the podium every single time he's finished the race. So, you know, he's done reasonably well. Um, and, well, not reasonably well, he's done incredibly well, especially winning in the uh, in the place where we thought he might struggle. So, yeah, hats off to him. Yeah, definitely. Um, I will move on to, from the Drivers' Championship to the Teams' Championship. Because, um, you know, if we didn't have a Drivers' Championship, we'd, of course, be keeping an eye on the Constructors'. And blimey, we have a four-way fight for the Constructors title now. Um, so I will start at fourth place at Andretti. Jake Dennis is single-handedly carrying Andretti this season. So I, I will do a teammate comparison. He's scored 195 points, leading the Drivers' Championship. His teammate, Andre Lotterer, is not he's not he's not doing too well. He's sitting down in seventeenth 
in the Drivers' Championship with 23 points to his name. He is just leading Dan Tictum by three points, and he has got behind Lucas Degrassi, which is quite unbelievable considering his teammate is leading this championship. Um, it's not going too well for him. He had a double DNF around Rome, which is not too good if you're trying to get into a team's fight. And, well, um, Dennis is single-handedly doing that now. Um, so I say we have a four-way fight. The top four teams are separated by 35 points, which is pretty close. And we are incredibly excited to see how that plans out. Um, so I will go to third place, Jaguar, who are 10 places ahead of Andretti. So um, you may think that after Evans had that brilliant race one, Sunbird DNF'd. After that second race in Rome where Evans DNF'd and Sunbird got P3, you might think that they took a step back. But no, that P3 from Sunbird was so, so important because um, they closed their gap down majorly in the constructors as they sit 25 points behind the, race, behind the leaders. Second place, the Porsche, on 239 points, uh, 11 points ahead of Jaguar, and just 14 points behind leaders and vision, um, as both drivers struggled around Rome. Um, Antonio Felix Acosta didn't score a single point around Rome, and his teammate Verline got only eight points around Rome, which is not good at all, as they see uh, them lose their constructors' lead to Envision after Casti got second place in race one and Buemi got P5 in race two. Um, we've got a championship fight in our hands in Formula E. Uh, whether you look at the teams or you look at the drivers, I'd be looking at the teams even more because I feel the teammate battle is so important here. If we are not having a driver's championship fight, we are certainly having a fight between the constructors and the teammates have certainly been the factor that has decided it. Because Dennis has been performing, his teammate Andre Lotter hasn't, which meant that they're sitting in P4 in the championship. Um, Jaguar, they have Evans uh, sitting in P3 in the championship, but um, Sam Bird has been putting in the performances, which meant that Jaguar are sitting in P3. But I think the best of the teammates here has been Antonio Felix da Costa, who was sitting on 93 points, uh, comfortably kind of the best of the teammates in that battle, and has been the one that has put Porsche into the kind of frame of that constructors fight, which has been unbelievable. But um, Envision Racing are the leaders. They are being the hunted at the moment. And um, certainly if uh, London is going to serve up a treat, it will be in the Constructors' battle because that is four, that is a four-way fight that, um, you know, whilst we may have not been expecting to see it, we have got it. Um, but, you know, I think the main thing coming from this weekend is Jake Dennis has been unbelievable. And he sure is the one driver who has this championship to lose now. Uh, he leads by 24 points. And... Um, Certainly, this is his. He's got one hand on the championship trophy, um, which uh, would be incredibly deserved. Um, I was talking about this to James earlier uh, that in the early parts of the season, where we had Dennis and Verline trading wins in the first three rounds, uh, we thought that this was going to be a fight between those two. And Dennis has kept up his consistency of getting being on the podium kind of every single time he's got points, apart from that first race in Rome where he finished in P4. And Verline has dropped off the face of this championship quite dramatically. 
any kind of kind of final words about that Rome weekend, James, before we go to London? Yeah, well, I mean, look, it, the Drivers' Championship might be secure, but as you say, the Team's Championship is looking nice and wide open, which, you know, always adds a little bit of intrigue to the last round. It's not always fun when everything's wrapped up. But then also at the same time, for some people in the Drivers' Championships, it's almost a free hit now. Um, for Pascal Verline, the pressure is completely off him. So if he goes back to back in London, he finishes the season on a high. And even if he doesn't take the Drivers' Crown, and look, it's extremely unlikely that he does... Um, he can still take some solace in the fact that he's won multiple, multiple races this season, the doubleheader in Diria, um, and then also uh, if he work, goes back to back in London, that is, you know, that's a good momentum for next year. Um, but yeah, as you say, what was a, a Dennis and um, a Dennis and Verline championship has gone into a, a Dennis and Cassidy championship as Verline has slipped off the face of this championship, as as you say. Um, but yeah, now we've just we've just got the Hungarian Grand Prix and uh, I say a double, I say just for a double header in Iowa. So that'll be key for the IndyCar Championship, I suspect. Uh, you know, if Alex Pillow has a strong weekend here in uh, Iowa, it's probably game over. But uh, don't discount Joseph Newgarden or Scott Dixon. Um, I think that's all we've got time for this week on the Single Seater Space podcast. Remember, all of our content is available on our website, singleseaterspace.co.uk. Once again, thanks to Taryn for joining me on this week's podcast, and we will see you next week. Goodbye. <laughs>